eventually she would confront me and be like, I know that that's not true. Yeah. Why don't you just tell me? And I, I would literally, I, I knew she knew. I knew that I was caught, not like physically caught, but like. That yeah, she could sense it. She had my number. Yeah. Still like doubling, tripling down on the lie. Purpose Driven with Alex Cornwall. I'm here with an amazing guest, a brother of mine. Um, we're a part of our same mastermind group. I've known Gareth now what, two years, and mm -hmm. his willingness to come on and be so vulnerable, share his story. I'm really excited for you to to listen to his story, listen about his addiction, how he's overcoming that addiction, and the steps and where he's going from here. Um, it's an he's an amazing man. I look up to him so much, Gareth. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been thinking about this one for a little while, you know, ever since we decided when we went to the retreat. Yeah. What we're going to talk about, how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited where this conversation is going to go. Okay, let's do it. Okay. <laughs> well, first and foremost, tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, your background. Yeah. And yeah, tell us who is Gareth. Ooh. <laughs> How's that to start? Yeah, it's a, kicking right off with a deep question. Hell yeah, um, let's do it. I think in, in some ways I'm still figuring that out. Um, okay. But, you know, just from, you know, the basics, I was born and raised in England, um, lived there till I was 18 and then moved to Phoenix, Arizona area. Um, That's a pretty big move. Yeah. What took you guys from England to Arizona? Um, my dad's work, ultimately. Oh, okay. We, we wanted to get out of England. Um, we had some family that had had done the same some in new zealand some in canada we were looking at canada at following them there um and i think i think my dad was on like international job boards something like that and saw a job in phoenix and it was as we were driving my cousins my aunt and uncle and cousins to the airport so they could move to canada um my dad was like hey what do you guys feel about arizona and i was like I know nothing about Arizona. <laughs> I I think I've heard of it. Yeah. I got, I think back now and I'm like, I, I have no idea if I knew much about it. I just, it was. They have the Cardinals. I didn't even That's know that. That's about it. I didn't even know that. <laughs> you didn't? No. Okay. No, I wasn't into like the, the American sports. I was full-blown soccer, football. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't like even a thought of which sports teams they have or anything like that. It was just. I don't know. I, and I remember like just this feeling of like, this feels right. Huh. Um, and I don't know that that was the first time I'd felt that, like that clarity of, you know, sometimes you get those like yeses in life and it's like, it just, I no idea why, no context, nothing. I just, it just feels right. And then my brain started going with like all of the, oh, but my cousins are in Canada. I don't want to, you know, all of the reasons why not Yep. Um, kind of popped up. But, uh, and then three months later, we were in Arizona. Three months later. So it was quick. I, I think so. It was uh, September. Yeah. Yeah. Like and three was, or four months later. And that so was when you were 18. Mm -hmm. So you moved there when you are 18 from England. Yep. Was the transition to come from England here difficult for you <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of the one of the darkest times of my life why why do you say dark um 
the darkness was like the voice in my head. Okay. Um, it was very, very, I, the most depressed I've been. One of the most depressed I've been. Um, I I really, really struggled. Did you feel alone? Like what, what made that struggle? I felt alone. Um, I'd spent most of my life really trying to figure out who I was, where I fit with mm-hmm. different groups of people. I bounced between friend groups because I just, I never, in school, I never felt like I really fit in with people. Um, and of the, the two years prior to that, I had finally found a group of friends that I felt accepted in England, in England. Yeah. And so, and it, it took that two years to really allow myself to feel that, to feel that acceptance and, um, and be me without, I mean, I, I still had masks, but without like the, um, I guess the chameleon, um, that, that I tended to be. You see that a lot in high school too. Oh yeah. You know, the different friend groups, like you talk about, you know, you got the, the jocks, the band nerds, the drama and all that and yeah. all of the above. And everybody has a mask mm-hmm. on it. Talk about that a little bit. Like how, how did those masks in high school? I mean, is it something that you've, you've carried to this day? Um, uh, very, very minimal now. That's good. Very, very minimal. Um, and it's taken a while to get there. I think the the biggest thing in high school was I didn't know who I was. Um, and you're still trying to figure it out. I'm still still trying to figure <laughs> that out. But I know a lot. It's it's more of a, a, a security, a confidence in who I am. Yeah. In what I know now of who I am. Um, but in in high school, I didn't know that. I had no idea who I was. I had no confidence in who I was, no self-esteem. And the belief was if people really knew who I was, they would leave me. They would reject me. That was like one of my core beliefs. Where did that limiting belief come from? Um, I mean, that's that's a pretty young age well, to I, have that kind of limiting belief. I, <laughs> I've sometimes thought that I was born with it, um, <laughs> okay. which I, it's not true. Yeah. I, you know, I, I had experiences where I started to believe that definitely. Um, but at a pretty young age, I was um, in in school, elementary school age. Um, I was bullied pretty heavily um, to the point where I changed schools because of it, because the school did nothing about it. Really? You had to change schools and everything. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it I, I remember being very, very young and believing that belief about myself. Um, and get started in kindergarten, first grade. And that was when that, that belief is you're not worth it. Yeah. Not worthy. Not worthy. Um, I'm alone. It, so I might as well just be alone. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like I can't show people me. I can't be who I am and, and, be confident because if people really knew me, they would reject me. Yeah. That's interesting. And moving, moving to the States, it just opened that up even more. It sounds like. Yeah. Because the, the, the first time for the first time in my life, I was finally feeling like I was making some progress on that belief that here are people who know who I am. And the problem, the big problem was um, I was hiding a lot. 
Okay. Um, there was a, there was a part of my life that I felt very, very ashamed about that I kept hidden from everyone. Gotcha. Um, so I was protecting that, but I still had let people in through some of those layers. Um, they saw who I was and they, they still loved me. Yeah. And then I was like ripped from that. I didn't want, I didn't want to leave. I remember telling my, my mom, like, what, what do you think about me just staying here? I had six months um, to go until I left on my mission. What do you think about me staying here and then just leaving for my mission here and then coming over after my mission or figuring it out from there? Yeah. And she's like, no. She said <laughs> absolutely no. Yeah. I mean, I was 18. I, I was an adult. I could have. You could have done I it. could have. And I knew that I was meant to go. Yeah. But all of those reasons, all of those reasons why not to to do it. That's interesting. You said, you, you said there was a part of you that you were always hiding. Mm-hmm. Do you mind touching on that? I don't mind at all. Yeah. Okay. So I, I struggled with addiction um, okay. from a very early age, um, pornography and masturbation. Like, And in, in mm-hmm. the religious culture that I was brought up in, that was like a no-no. A big no-no. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of like religious shame, a lot of personal um, shame that, that, that I had and that I carried where to where – I, I believed from a young age, early teens, that I was I was done for. That my salvation was like gone. At a at a young age. Yeah. That God it, you just already wrote you off. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I think that's so interesting how you know, and I'm not bagging religions by any means or right. anything no. like that, but how that pressure is so heavily put on people at a young age. Yeah. Yeah, but in all did. reality, addiction's addiction. I mean, you just need you need help. Yeah. Instead, you get a shame, mm-hmm. and you get shamed. Yeah. And sh- the shame is what fuels the addiction. Yeah, because the more shame you have, the more you more get caught up into it. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. How long did you live with that? We, no one in my life knew about it, and literally no one um, knew about it until. Uh, about eight years ago, just over eight years ago, a little over eight years, almost ago. nine, somewhere around that. It was it was just before um, the birth of my first kid. Really? Yeah. And she's nine in August, so it would be about eight years ago around now. No, about nine years ago, right? About now. So, talk us a little bit about the addiction and addiction in general, and mm-hmm. what it does to your brain, and how do you knew you had an addiction? Um. I mean, first off, it took me a while to accept that I had an addiction. Okay. I think I I knew, but I didn't accept. That's that. a big thing right there. I hope people listen to that. Because if if I accepted that I had an addiction, then I accepted that I had a problem, and then I had to do something about it. It was yes. like this knock-on effect, right? So what addiction... So, I mean, I'll, I'll just speak to... My, I'm not an expert, you know? Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't have a PhD on... And psychology and, and all that stuff. And that's one thing I love about it because I guarantee you people will resonate with you more yeah. about your experience and you going through that addiction. Right. I'm, I'm actually grateful that you're not an expert at this Yeah, because people can relate. Yeah. So, so I, I know there's all, you know, the science about it, what it does to the brain chemicals. And I know it affects that in, in a big way, um, depending on the substance and the, the process that you, that it is. But, Addiction essentially for me was was a numbing. It was a safe way 
a vulnerability-free way to get my needs met. That was ultimately what it was. Um, my need for connection, um, which I, I looked for in pornography, and it, it was a falsified version of it. It, it wasn't mm -hmm. real. Um, and it didn't actually give me what I wanted, what I needed. Um, That's where the shame came in. Part, part of it was, was that I would go to it and um, end up feeling empty because it didn't meet that need. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of fueled the cycle again. But a lot of the shame was the secrecy. Okay. Was the, was the lying, especially after I got married. I used to think before I got married, you know, it, once I get married, this will be fine. I won't need, I won't need pornography then. Yeah. Because then I'll, I'll have sex. You know, I, I didn't have sex before marriage. That was part of, you know, yeah. my religious upbringing as well. Um, and, and so I was like, once I can have sex, I won't need this. Right. But it just <laughs> made it worse because it was the shame that fueled the addiction. And then I'm lying to this person that I've just committed like eternity, my life, everything to. And that story starts playing in my head. Like you're lying to her. Like what is wrong with you? Like yeah. you are broken. Like you are disgusting um, for what you're doing, which fuels the shame and fuels the cycle. And it just keeps getting worse and worse. Um, but I, addiction was also an, an, an escape and numbing i i feel emotions very very deeply mm -hmm. i ha always have as a kid um and i didn't know what to do with them especially in the culture that i was raised in emotions were bad they weren't um and again this was just my experience of it someone else you know, even one of my siblings or whoever like raised in that same environment may have, have may have a different perspective on this but based on what I um, experienced, it felt like emotions were bad. Yeah. That if you felt sad, felt angry, felt whatever, then just deal with it and move on. It's interesting you bring up emotions. Yeah. Like these past few weeks, that's I've been doing a lot of studying and research and and just a lot of meditation about emotions in general. Yeah. And I love what you just said there, where you, we're not we're never taught on what to do with them. Oh, no, <laughs> you know we're never taught about. No. You know, I was actually working with a coach about sitting in sadness, mm. and that whole notion that sit in your emotions that you're in, so yeah. you can learn from them. Yeah, that's a concept. Like it was two days ago that I had this conversation, and it was so mind boggling to me, like, wait, sit in sadness. Mm -hmm. Why the hell would I want to do that? Because that leads to depression. That leads to this, that it leads to this. But it was that whole thing. He, he said, he's like, well, there's one thing about sitting in sadness, sitting in that emotion. And one thing about letting that emotion define mm -hmm. and control you and control you. And not just yeah, letting it define you. Yeah. Building, creating stories about yourself, beliefs about yourself because of the emotion. I mean, think about how many emotions you are going through your mind being addicted and having that addiction that were defining you at that time. Oh, yeah. I mean, what yeah. were some of those emotions you were going through? I mean, you, a shame, of course. Shame. I was, I was deeply depressed growing up. Um, a lot of anxiety. Um, 
I didn't recognize that at the time mm -hmm. that I had anxiety and I had depression um, because I just numbed it out, right? Um, but yeah, a lot of a lot of sadness, a lot of sadness. It's just a ton. Yeah, but not, not. It was. It wasn't like sitting in it. Like I, I like what you said there. Like the difference between sitting it and sitting in it and like um, wallowing in it. That's yeah. There's a huge difference there. Wallowing is what I did <laughs> with it. <laughs> well, I think that's what most people do when yeah. you have an emotion hit on. Mm -hmm. You wallow in it. You're yeah. like, oh, poor pity me. You become the victim mentality. Yeah. We were talking about right before uh -huh. you know we started that I just victim sit mentality. Sit in the corner and have my little pity pie. Yeah, I did it yesterday or two right. days ago. I was like, oh, poor pity me. Come yeah. console me. And it's like all oh, reality. No, console yourself, hassle. Yeah. Like get out of this. Yeah. Learn from this emotion. Yeah. You know, and that's one thing that we don't do. Right. Is learn from it. Right. Did these emotions help you recognize the, that addiction? Like what, what helped you actually get, go, okay, I need help. What got you to that point? Oof. Um, I know we, we getting, jumped right into it too. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that's okay. No, that's totally fine. Yeah. Getting caught <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> in a way. Okay. That, that was kind of a, and of all <laughs> getting caught I, I guess that of all is a big of thing. all the things to get caught with it wasn't like pornography i wasn't like sat at the computer with my pants down like looking at yeah. porn when my wife walked in um which i know has happened to to people that i know um it was like <laughs> it's a bit it's still still a little bit embarrassing but it it kind of shows the the depth of the addiction and the lengths that i would go to to try and get that high yeah. um it was literally a mail out flyer for like a soma magazine which is ridiculous so like just like women's underwear, underwear lingerie yeah no i mean not even lingerie like there was you can't see anything everything's covered but yeah. in my head it was like i just saw it and probably was feeling some emotions that i uncomfortable emotions that i didn't want to feel didn't know how to deal with or rather, I'd learned this is how I deal with it, is I go to this. Yeah. And just opportunity right there. Like, I was looking at it, staring at it, and wife walked in. She was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh. Tried to make some excuse, and then, you know, a day later, she came to me, and she was like, that excuse doesn't feel right. Like, what's, what's going, going on? on? Yeah. So I just kind of took a deep breath and told her. Told her. Just enough. Told her just enough. Just enough yeah. to help your conscience feel yeah. okay. Yeah. You know, I've got a problem with it. You know, it's it's once every now and then. And it, yeah. you know, and it, it was very, a very meaningful moment in my life because um, I, I, I talked about like not showing people who I truly am, like mm -hmm. everything. It was just kind of, I peeled back some of those layers a little bit more, let her in a little bit. Did you oh. feel a sense of relief? Oh yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Whew. Um it felt like a weight was lifted. This secret that I had that I had a problem with pornography was was lifted. I, I do want to make this point too. You're still currently with your wife. Mm -hmm. You're happily married. Yeah. You have how many beautiful kids? Three. Three beautiful kids with one on the way. Yeah. I want to make that point. Yeah. For the audience, 
you went through some of the hardest times when that came out, you think your life was going to end at that time. I th- Yeah. Oh, yeah. If people found out that secret, in my mind, like she was gone. Uh-huh. There's no way that she would stay with me because I was this, this disgusting, awful human being. Yep. And had all of these fears and stories written about it. Isn't it so interesting that we always, our, our deepest fears and our deepest doubts about ourselves are always worse in our mind than what they really are. Oh, yeah. On, oh, yeah. Isn't it, it's always interesting to me. Yeah. But when you actually step back and look at the big picture, what do you actually see? Are you alive? Right. Do your loved ones support you 100% regardless of what your crap you're going through? For the most part. Yeah. Are they going to be mad at you? Are they going to, or is there going to be some trust you got to rebuild? Probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But she's still by your side. Yeah. That's interesting to me. We always do that. Mm-hmm. I know I do it all the time. Yeah. So take us through those steps afterward. I mean, we're, I, I love to hear your trip and your story about, okay, came out to your wife mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. Lead us through the process of what what went on. I mean, with that sense of relief, did you want more lifted off your shoulders? Did you feel like that sense of like, I need this gone? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, there was – at the time, it felt like enough. I hadn't shared everything. I hadn't shared the, the full depth of it, um, but it felt like enough. I was like, okay, I'm good. You know, she knows now. Um I can continue on with life. No, to a certain extent, I, I truly believe I could continue on with life the way that I had been doing life and everything would be fine. Because she now knows that yeah, I had a problem with with, with addiction, with, uh, with pornography. Yeah. Um, it, it didn't go that way. No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it did for a few years. Um, okay. I want to say two or three years. Did um, she ever bring it up after? We talked about it probably once every six or so months. I committed to being honest with her about it. Um, and then I think I think I had maybe three months of sobriety after sharing it with her. Um, and, you know, white knuckling it, not really changing anything, but just white knuckling, which never works for long periods of time. Um, or almost never. And then... Got back into it, but didn't was dishonest again. Lied about it, um, or didn't disclose it. Disclose yeah. it, and then if she would ask me about it, like no, no, everything's good. Just didn't and know. eventually she she knew. Eventually she would confront me and be like, "I know that that's not true. Like, yeah. Why don't you just tell me?" And I I would literally, I I knew she knew. I knew that I was caught, not like physically caught, but like. Yeah, she could sense it. She had my number. Yeah. Still like doubling, tripling down on the lie. Why do you think that? Why do you think that you were doing that? Because of that belief that if she really knew me, if she really knew the depths, like she knows that I've looked at pornography and I still struggle with it, um, that I struggled with it. But if she knew, I still do. And the depths of of what that that looked like, there's no, she would leave. She'd be done. Because I hadn't shown her all of me. I'd shown just a little bit more. Just another layer. And until I was willing to give her everything and, and just lay myself bare and be like, here I am. 
like as like this this is who I am and you now get to choose whether or not you mm-hmm. are with me. Before that point, I didn't give her that opportunity to choose. Yeah. And that was one of the biggest things for her was she felt like af- after I had done that, it took um, a few years, probably four, I think four years um, after that for me to fully like lay myself bare and be like, this is everything. Um, that was her biggest struggle was like, you didn't give me the opportunity to even choose. You didn't, I didn't even know who I was marrying. Um, I didn't know who I was That's with. That's interesting you say that because you weren't yourself. No, it you was weren't a mask. Your, yeah. And, you know, one thing that I know Gareth, so, I mean, we talk, we talk about it a little bit, but, you know, we're, we're in the, uh, a tribe together, mm-hmm. a mastermind. Yeah. Um, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Being a part of a, a brother, a, a group of brethren that, that we're there for each other. Um, but in that mastermind, we talk a lot about integrity. Mm-hmm. Being a man of integrity. Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit because I think that's, you know, this is a good segue into being the authentic person that you're supposed to be in life yeah. with everybody. When you had that opening, that release of like, look, this is who I am. Was that the first time you've really ever felt integrity in your life? Yeah. How did, how did it feel? What was that emotion? Talk us through that emotion. Who. There was a lot of emotion. A yeah, lot of emotion. I can only imagine, man. Whole bunch of fear. Um and part of that was like I was constantly assessing her reaction, her response. Um so after the big grand disclosure of everything. Um and that was an interesting experience. I had had a therapeutic disc- disclosure a few days before that where I'd peel back more of those layers. But then share everything. Yeah. It was like, as I was writing up my disclosure, there were certain things where I was like, nope, if I share that, she'll leave. So not putting that down. So I peeled back more of those layers in that therapeutic disclosure with a therapist. And then, you know, things didn't quite add up. And um, she asked me about one of the things. And I was like, well, it was kind of like this. And she was like, well, that's a little bit different from what you said. And, and then she found like a prior copy of my disclosure that I'd written up where I'd had where the details were different. Yeah. Because I was kind of making them up a little bit. And she was like, okay, something's wrong. One of those like She called you out. Yeah. So we sat down, just her and I, um, and had like five hours of just me like, okay, what else? Like, okay, what else is there? Just okay, ask. what else is there? And she, she's asking me that over and over again after I share something. Okay, what else? It was a hard night. Um, I can only imagine five hours worth. Yeah. Dang. Of my deepest, darkest secrets. Here you go. Here's everything. Yeah. Now you get to choose. Um, what do you want? And she went numb. I can only imagine. Like, And that was the scariest for me, was seeing her unfeeling. Just completely numb. Yeah. Because she's also a very emotional person, feels emotion emotions. And I, I don't say that as a negative. Like she feels emotions very deeply. Yeah. And I think that can be a superpower. Um 
And that was the first time in my life I'd seen her just. Just glaze over. Gla- completely numb. And like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. Kind of thing. And I, I think it, I feel the emotions coming up now, even thinking about that, just um, the sadness that comes up of like, not so much like this is what I did to her, but like they, this was the consequence of my actions, right? Um, so <laughs> That's so crazy you say it. This is the consequences of my actions. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of times going through addictions, going through, you know, that kind of stuff. We never think about those consequences. No. You never do. You no. think you could hide it forever. Oh, yeah. Right? You thought you were going to hide this forever, like you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I told her enough just to get by. Yeah. And then shit but this part I'm taking to my grave. Yeah. And then shit hits the fan. Mm-hmm. But the I, I do want to go over the weight that was lifted off. Yes, there was that sadness mm. in seeing the one you love going through that. But talk about the weight that was lifted off of you. It was so freeing. Like, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, honestly. And I hope people realize that and recognize that, that anybody that's suffering from addictions, mm-hmm. you can have that same freeing it's not as bad as what people say yeah. right i mean i mean it is it's it, hard it it's hard I, work I, I know people who disclosed true. everything and their wife left that's true but it's not about that it's not about the outcome it's not of of the disclosure it's, it's about being it's a man of internal it's, change it's about that integrity yeah it's about that integrity not with other people that right. integrity with yourself how much were you lying to yourself because <laughs> that's really what it was all down to yeah you weren't lying to outside people. You weren't lying to anybody else but yourself. Right. For how long? My entire life. Exactly. I can only imagine the weight that was lifted off. Yeah. Just being able to say, I did this. Yeah. I do this. I need help. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt broken even after sharing, even after sharing everything. It was like I could see myself for who I was and I, I felt like a broken human. Um, ever heard that saying that you have to hit rock bottom before you go up? Yeah. Was that your rock bottom? Um, yeah, yeah, that was, that was rock bottom. Rock bottom. I mean, rock bottom is whenever I stop digging. Yeah. I, Dude, I like that. I, I had a, I had a choice at that point, even, even after disclosing everything, I had a choice whether or not I'm going to allow this to change me and yeah. cha- change my actions going forward. Or I could double down again and go continue living life the way that I was. Um, During that period after disclosure, um, my wife basically said, like, look, here here are the options that, that I have. Like, I think you need more help. So you... Like you can choose to check yourself into into rehab, into a treatment facility, or if you don't, then I have a choice to make, basically, and that choice is probably going to be to leave. Um, so she gave you a here you go, here are your yes, options. An, an an ultimatum. No, I hate using like the word ultimatum. It was though because I feel like people um, view ultimatums as I don't have a choice, but I did. She just told me what she was going to do. Yeah. You knew the outcome before yes. you made the choice. Yeah. 
So I have a choice. Do I want to um, make this my rock bottom? And okay, I'm going to go to treatment. I'm going to get some some more help. Or I can choose to keep doing what I'm doing. And we, I, I could have said at that point, okay, like I, I don't really want to go. Um, I'm so I'm I'm okay with the consequences of of that choice. Yeah, like I I had a choice. Um, so I want to put that caveat in when I say ultimatum. She just told me that she was done accepting my behavior um, in our relationship. Yeah, and if I didn't choose to make a change, she would. Well, that that was her choice. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that was her choice. We always have a choice. She always has has a choice. In everything. In everything. In everything you do. Yeah. That's so true. Well, rehab it was, right? Rehab it was. And I know the story. You've told me a little bit about the story of that drive to rehab. <laughs> Talk about that a little bit. So um, we went to – we were still living in, in Arizona at the time. Um, and there was the... – How long had you guys been married? Uh, I'm trying to do math here. Um Let's see, four or five, five, six years, well, somewhere still, in there. Still fairly new. This was four years ago, and we've been married twelve. We've been married twelve years now, so eight, eight years. Yeah, yeah, we've been married eight years. Eight years. Okay. Well, tell us about rehab. That drive there. That drive there. Um, <laughs> I like. I, I like going going through the hard time of you yeah. going there, just because it just puts it in perspective for people. Yeah. That change and overcoming anything in life is very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but the outcome is so beautiful. Oh yeah. If you're willing to go through it, yeah. that pain, yeah, the outcome is so beautiful. I look at you, Gareth, and your story and what you've done and your vulnerability to come share this. Yeah. Like it, it makes me emotional thinking about how many people you're going to go help Yeah, because so many people don't consider sex as an addiction. Right. They don't look at it like that. Yeah. I've heard. Or pornography. Or pornography. What's wrong with pornography? I just. Yeah. It's it's so readily deal. available. It's fine. Yeah. You, yeah. It's it's out there. They put it out there anyway. It's okay to masturbate. Right. But when it becomes an addiction, it comes a have to, you've got a problem. Right. And for you to go out and share your story, dude, you're going to touch a lot of people. Yeah. And you're going to help a lot of people. We're going to get into that here down the yeah. road. But let's talk through that uncomfortable time. Yeah, so the the drive was seven hours um, up to St. George. where It was here. It was here, yeah. Okay. That's one of the things that drew me back here was was just the transformation that took place here. Um, I felt a real connection to that. But So it was a seven-hour drive, and I, I could have driven myself and left my vehicle there, but um, just logistically we decided that wasn't. That wasn't the smartest thing. That wasn't the smartest thing. I didn't want to have an easy easy access to a vehicle so that I could leave. And there was times where, I mean, I was like at, at one point wanting to call an Uber and, and the staff was like, what are you talking about? There's no Uber like out here. <laughs> like, Uber, what's that? Right. It's 11 <laughs> o'clock at night. What, what what do you think you're going to do? Anyway, whole other story. In St. George, Utah. Yeah, in St. George, like the outskirts of st george utah it's like yeah um up near diamond valley okay um anyway so that drive was my wife and i and she's numb and 
and I am just like, like basically shaking the whole way, like in fear. Um, yeah, it wasn't a fun drive. You know, seven hours in the car with with someone that you don't really want to have a conversation with because you don't really want to talk about the things, the only things you have to talk about at that point. Yeah. Um, getting there, um, she dropped me off. Like, and it it was funny. Like, she we went inside, went into like the office area, um, had a chat with the uh, the staff member there. And um, she, she couldn't leave any faster. Like she was out of it. Yeah, yeah. And the, the staff member like laughed about it. Like not not mocking yeah. me, but just like it, more so like after the fact, like looking back on it and, and just being like, "Oh man, she was funny." She just I was like, "Do you want to say bye?" And she's like, "Nope," and she just left, dropped my stuff off. Like, which I understandable. I could see it. Like she just wanted to get out of there. Yeah. Um, because me being around was chaos for her. Um and she wanted to be able to like let her guard down a little bit and and just feel everything she'd been putting off. Well, she's got a lot of emotions I bet you that was sucked up that she mm-hmm. couldn't let out. Once you were gone, that's when she needed to heal too cuz there's healing for her as well. Oh yeah. That she needed to go through. Yeah. And that gave her a chance. I bet you that ride home for her was worse than taking you there. Yeah, she cried the entire way, basically, and spent a couple of days on the couch just feeling it, sitting in it. And then um, a certain point was just like, I can't live like this. I've, I've got to do something. Yeah. So she went fully into her healing. Um, it's so awesome. That we were she healing rec- together. That's awesome. Of, that she recognized that. Yeah, that she, she had a choice in that moment. Yeah, she could choose to stay living life the way that she was, which wasn't really working for for her, especially in that moment. Like, yeah, she's got three kids to take care of. Like I left her with <laughs> with two hundred dollars in the bank, three kids, a puppy, which she. Very quickly rehomed. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids or the puppy? I'm just joking. <laughs> um, three kids in diapers. My oh, dad. Um, you know what causes those, right? Those kids. I mean, so quickly. Three in diapers. Yeah, I mean, our oldest has special needs, so oh, okay. she. Okay. I mean, she's still in diapers now. Um, even man, three kids in diapers. Nine. I couldn't do that. Yeah, that's tough. And then a puppy that was pooping everywhere. Hey, I've got that right now. <laughs> <laughs> so she she had a lot to deal with. Yeah. Um, and she could have just done the bare minimum to get by, survived that time. But she was like, I, I can't live like this. Like, I'm not going to sit here wallowing for two months while he's gone. You were gone two months. Uh-huh. In your head, are you thinking, see, I told you it wasn't worth it. Shouldn't have opened up. Shouldn't have said anything. Like, I'm just curious to see. That's a great question, what do you Mal. Think about that? That's a really good question. That is a really good question. Yeah. Um. So being at rehab, feeling broken, having no idea that whether or not our marriage is going to make it. Um. That they, that question definitely crossed my mind. Do you regret it? 
Um, that 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 question of I don't do know it, if regret's the right word. Okay. It it was you almost that, have... that feeling of like this is the consequence of my actions. Um, and there was a period of letting go of the outcome of our relationship. Talk about that. That's important right there. Because there was a part of me that did, did like, I don't want to say regret. Like it's trying to think of the right word to describe it. You were shameful. Yeah. It was shame. I felt ashamed for sure. Um, But that, and, and, and there was that voice in my head that was like, like, see, like, you told her these things and look what happened. Yeah. She's numb. You've broken her. Like she's broken because she can't feel anymore. Um, like, what are you doing? Like, why would you do that? Um, yeah. That's insane. I told you so. Um, looking for all the evidence to support my beliefs. You're in your head a lot, it sounds like. Yeah. And it didn't, it honestly didn't take long because being removed from my environment, removed from everything, um, being put in an environment where all I had to worry about was the present moment, um, which didn't stop me from worrying about the future a lot of the time, especially in the beginning. Um, I got really good at being present. Um, but every time I went to the future, it was like that conflict of like, why would you do this? This this was the dumbest thing you've ever done. But I also felt this insane relief, this freedom of, like, I've told her everything. I don't need to lie anymore. Well, it wasn't just her either. It was, I mean, you went to rehab. It was yeah. out in the open. Oh, yeah. Your family knew. Uh-huh. Everybody knew. Yeah. I mean, I could see where you get that sense of relief. I mean, you were lying to yourself for so long mm-hmm. that that weight lifted off. Who gives a shit? You're free yeah. in a way. It, it, part, part of me gave a shit, yeah. I mean, part of you did, and that's that. That's when you were in your head going, oh, man, I told you so. I wish I wouldn't have done this. Look at how I've broken her. But on the other sense, I mean, when you when you look at you, yeah, that relief that you got was able to – That I, I'm, I'm assuming that kick-started that healing even more for you in rehab. Oh, yeah. That was really the start of my healing. Because until then, I wasn't, I wasn't able to really show people who I was, and until I did that, those beliefs are still going to be there. Those beliefs that you know I'm broken. That if people really knew me, because I wasn't showing people everything, yeah. people really knew me, they would reject me and leave. Um, and that's been proven wrong time and time and time again. Every time I've shared with people, whether it's individually, group settings. Um, on Instagram, like just putting it out there for the world to see. Um, every time I've done that, I've gotten support. And then maybe people are like, that guy's crazy. What is he doing? I don't hear from them. What's nice is you're not doing it for them. Right. You know, let them say what they say. Yeah. You know? I mean, so. part of that is I have much more confidence in who I am now and a, 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 a security there. Yeah. That I know that even if those people who do reject me because of who I am, that I'm okay. Yeah. That like, cool. You've seen who I am and you don't like that. that that's great. Yeah. I don't ha- I don't need to have you in my life trying to like impress you, trying to make you like me, trying to control all of that. That part's freeing as well. Um, 
Yeah. Do you, do you see a difference in your relationship today? Oh yeah. Big time. Talk about that a little Huge bit. Huge difference. Um, it's, it's not just the addiction that I was hiding. It was everything. Like, what do you mean? Um, just the day-to-day emotions, day-to-day struggles, you know, work's tough or I'm struggling with school or whatever it is. Um, it was, I never shared those things. I never shared when I was feeling sad. I never shared any part of me um, or like barely any part of me. Um, and so now we go to day to day and I'm sharing those struggles. When she asked me how my day was, I'm not just like, oh, it's fine. I don't do that anymore. Um, you actually open up and have I a actually conversation. open up, which invites connection on a deeper level than than possible when you not when I'm not sharing those things. Yeah. Um so the connection is um very deep now. Um and that's not to say we don't have times where we're disconnected. We do. Um I don't believe there's a a a, a time where we're gonna be just like, you know, we're just in the zone constantly. We're in flow, we're connected, everything's great. Life is up and down and it's learning to deal with those um, ups and downs and accept it. And um, and the times where we're disconnected and where we're in conflict, they tend to be a lot shorter now. Huh. Um, we recover quicker from that. And we've learned that the c- connection is really truly built and the trust is really truly built in those times of repair. Like connection, trust isn't built when everything is going great, we have to experience the opposite in order to to know, even for her as well, that she can show me her like shadow side. I guess you could you could yeah. call it her like um, parts of her that that she felt like she didn't want to show people, and I can show my um, all all my parts of, of who I am, and um, even if it's you know, I mean her angry and screaming and yelling and me lying and all, all of that, everything. And we still accept each other. We still love each other. We're still willing to repair. And it's in that repair that that trust is built. Together. 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 That's the biggest thing is together. She sees you now mm-hmm. and you see her. Yeah. And that's the difference because that, that, that wasn't seen before. No. It wasn't seen at all. No. I mean, how, how can it be? How, how can you really choose someone if you don't know all of it? It's true. It's true. How often does that happen in relationships as well? I mean, if you really yeah. think about it, that's so interesting. Like all of it. I'm so grateful and glad that you guys are, are working it out. Yeah. Cause it's gotta be, it's gotta be a struggle even to this day. I mean, addiction doesn't just go away. No, that's another thing that people don't understand. Well, I, I, I broke this addiction. I cut this addiction. It's always going to be a struggle. Am I wrong? I mean, there's ways to cope with it and the, adapt to it. There's different, there's different ideas about it. I went into like post rehab. I, I kind of made the choice that like, this is not going to be my life forever. Again, it's a choice, right? I love it. <laughs> um, I would go to like 12 step meetings. And hear from people who have been in 12 – and this I'm saying this without 
any judgment at all. Yeah. And um and they like addiction and recovery was their life. And that worked for them. They found recovery that way. Um I I personally didn't want to be in meetings every week. Like and so I I made a choice to do it different a little bit and mm-hmm. following the same principles like all all the 12 step program does is is lead you to look inward and upwards to develop a connection with yourself and a connection spiritually um and so I did that in in other ways um and I live recovery in um in other ways I I maintain those connections um more than just going to 12 step meetings every week and um and so sorry what was your question i don't remember <laughs> it was honestly you're you're going down the right path yeah. i mean it's it's how do you are you still dealing with that addiction pretty much right. i mean and you you hit it i mean 12 step program and i love what you said you don't have to your recovery and your sobriety as you call it right is yours right. and yours alone yeah so it's whatever you choose to do right. to make it happen in your life. Right. You made a choice. It sounds like that I'm done. I'm done living this way. Right. I like being a man of integrity. Exactly. I love this feeling, this emotion more than what I was feeling back then yeah. of being alone and being separated mm-hmm. from everybody that I love because it was a choice that I made. Yeah. And that's not to say things don't come up. I mean, triggers still happen. Um, both for myself and for my wife. Sorry. Um, just, You're good. I've had the burps too. <laughs> You're good. Just last night, um, I was working on something late. I, like my wife and I were both on the couch. I was on the laptop working on something and she decided to go to bed. And I was like, I'm, I'm just going to be up for another hour or so. And she heard just an hour. So in her mind, it was an hour. An hour and a half later, she wakes up and she texts me and she's like, where are you? Like, oh, I'm just finishing up. And we had this conversation about, well, like, you told me an hour. And this is really triggering because this is what you would do. You would, I would go to bed and go to sleep. And that's when you would go and do your thing. Yeah. Um, so that was a trigger for her. But we've learned how to deal with those things. That's what, to me, what recovery is, is not removing those triggers from your life. It's accepting that they're there when that they come up when they come up and they don't when they don't and knowing what to do with them when they do. I think the biggest thing you, you touch on there is the communication that you have between you and your wife now. Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm pretty sure that communication has gotten a lot stronger. Oh yeah. I mean, when I was still (laughs) hiding, that would, that would trigger me. Her having that trigger would trigger my thoughts of like, oh no, she's going to find out. She knows. Yeah. And so I would do everything I could to defend that. And that involved gaslighting her, um, turning the tables on her, everything I could to defend and protect that secret that I had, which wasn't fun for her being no. gaslighted all the time, gaslit, whichever. Yeah, it makes uh, sense. Yeah. <laughs> I get what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so now I've learned not to control her trigger and accept that oh okay she's triggered cool like let's deal with that yeah have empathy like 
yeah, I can understand why she feels triggered. And there was times where I would get mad that she was triggered, even after like she knew everything. Like get mad because why don't you just trust me? Yeah, why like I'm doing everything right now. Doing everything right. Like, why can't you just trust that I'm doing everything right? Making it about me when it's not. Her trigger was I think it's interesting you're using the word trigger for somebody that doesn't have the addiction. Yeah. Because, you know, when you think of triggers, you think of, oh, this is going to trigger my addiction. Right. But you don't think of the other people. They also have triggers going and that will bring up those emotions like, oh, this is happening in spite of me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and being and having empathy and using that word empathy. I love that, that you're saying that because mm-hmm. a lot of times you don't know what's going on in other people's head. No. You don't know what's going on in their eyes and and how this is affecting them yeah and And we make we make what's going on in their head about us yeah which i know i do a lot to keisha and that's something that we struggle with and i i'm currently working on as well yeah i mean men we want to defend ourselves yeah whether it's good or bad yeah that's our masculinity coming out going no damn it i'm right you're wrong this is who I am. Yeah. Oh, we want to fix it. We want to fix her. Or like, oh, you're triggered. Let me fix that. Oh, let me let me make it so that you're not triggered anymore. Yeah. My little fix it guy comes out a lot. My little fix it persona. Yeah. Dude, he comes out way too much because that's all I ever want to do. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a solution seeker. Okay, I can fix this. Yeah. You know, when in all reality, does it really need fixing? Right. And even the fixing is about us. Mm-hmm. It's because I'm uncomfortable with you having this trigger and feeling these emotions. So in order for me to be comfortable, I have to fix you. Yeah. And it's the worst thing you can do. Oh, boy, is it the worst thing you can do. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a learning curve as well. Yeah. So. I think it sends the message that she's something to be fixed, that she's broken. Exactly. You only fix broken things. Dude, that's that's actually. You're sending the message that you are broken and I I need to fix you. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. No. (laughs) Do you like feeling broken? No. You know, I Spent hate most it. of my life feeling that way. Exactly. Like, no, I don't, no. I don't want to feel that way. Exactly. Well, let's, let's, let's move forward. I mean, okay. thank you first and foremost, again, for being so vulnerable and talking about all of this. And I guarantee you, you're going to resonate with a lot of people out there. Cause I think a lot of people do struggle with this Yeah, and they are hiding it. Yeah. Um, that brings me to the next point of you've decided, I mean, you're very successful in your career in what you do and you've decided to go help other people yeah. with this as well. Let's talk, let's talk through that yeah, a little bit as well. And, and your goals and your vision and, and where, where you where how and where you like to, to help. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of people struggling with this and whether or not they admit it themselves. I think the moniker of addiction people struggle with, mm-hmm. um, and it, it, it's even like it's not in in psychology terms. It's not officially defined. Sex addictionism. It's not. Um, a lot of people don't think it is an addiction. Right. To me, I don't. I'm not here to convince anyone that mm-hmm. sex addiction, pornography addiction, is a real thing. I I don't really care yeah. whether or not it's a real thing. It's the results that are happening in that were happening in my life and in in people's lives. It's the the hiding, the secrecy, the shame, the like not living or rather living under this burden of 
beliefs about yourself that um that you're broken um yeah i i i look at more the results of it um and whether you call it an an addiction or not like who cares yeah i agree um but yeah i i i want to help people um i i feel very strongly that i've had experiences of sharing my story with people um with youth groups at church um with on Instagram and, and seeing the results of that, um, seeing people make changes in their life based on things that I've shared with them when just my experience, not telling them they need to change their life, but sharing my own experiences. Um, and that is incredibly fulfilling for me. And each time I've done it, I, I felt I want more of that. And so, yeah, like I, I want to help people in a greater capacity. Um, and, you know, I feel like coaching is a, is a natural step for me. It's taken me a long time to get there, but it's felt like a natural step. Yeah. And it's something that you're currently doing. Yeah. You've got some clients now. Yeah. And it's been successful. Yeah. Very successful. Has that helped you with those triggers and, and making your, that's one thing I love about coaching too. And that's why I want to hit on this. Has it made your relationship better? Yeah. Going down this path. Oh yeah. Why? Um, because life is life uh-huh. and it's very easy to forget principles that were working for you to stop doing things that work. And then you get a few months down the road and you're like, why does my life feel chaotic right now? Like, oh, because, you know, my morning routine is like gone. Like, yeah. why, when did I stop doing that? Why did I stop doing that? Or the other principles that you used to live by. And it's not necessarily even big things. I'm, I'm not saying like, you know, I'm I'm acting out with my addiction again. And, and I'm like, well, what happened? How did, how did this happen? Like, it's not what I'm saying. It, it's more the feeling of being um, empowered in my life. And living a life of purpose, of intention. Um, there's times where I, I forget those principles of what makes my life filled with purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, it's ups and downs. And so coaching reminds me of those things. Every time I coach someone, I mean, I, I can't count the number of times already. I've only been doing this a few months. And already um, there's conversations that i've had where i've come out of it out of that coaching session and been like that was for me like they may have gotten something from that definitely sure but everything i said to that person i needed to say to myself because i'm not living that way currently yeah um so that that's been really impactful where do you see your coaching program in the next five years the next five years um I think I, I always want to work one-on-one with people. Okay. Um, there's something special there. I think there's a lot of work that can be done in that. Um, but I I want to spend more of, of my time um, as, as it grows working in groups. Um, one-on-one is, is great. I love that, that connection one-on-one. Yeah. Um, but there's so much work that can be done in groups. Because remember, with, with shame and with stories, beliefs, and it's not just in addiction. People who don't have 
pornography addiction have these same beliefs about themselves. They do. From other sources, other experiences that they've had. Um, group work challenges those beliefs in, in such a greater capacity. Being able to be, be in group therapy and share my deepest, darkest secrets with groups of men and be supported and accepted and not rejected, it reprograms. Well, and I think you realize too, when, you, when you're in that group setting, you realize you're not the only one either. Yeah. Oh, yeah. when you start sharing yeah. your story, how often do you hear, oh, I can relate to that. Oh, I have that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that feeling? And oh, we that experienced living, that. Oh, my hell. Yeah. A couple we, weeks ago. We did in our retreat that we went to. Yeah. Such an amazing retreat. And it's hard when you come back here, like we were talking about that a little bit, like coming back to reality, as right. you call it, it's like, man, it's so hard. And that's why it's so important to have that group mm -hmm. where you can always fall back on to remember and refill those emotions that you felt at yeah. that retreat or yeah. at that event. Yeah. And I love it that that's what you're going to do. Yeah. I love asking, I want to ask you one more question too. Okay. If you had no fear, what would you do? Where do you see yourself? Um, I know it's kind of an odd yeah. question outside if of what I we're talking no about. If there, if there was no fear in your life, mm -hmm. where do you see yourself and what would you be doing? Um, th this, like, this is what I, th this is what I want to do. Um, but at, at a scale to where I can impact, you know, countless people. Um, whether that's running retreats, which I want to do running, you know, group, um, masterminds or what, whatever you want to call it, just having groups, um, that meet on a regular basis or speaking at events, um, being able to get my message out there. Um, and, and it's not my message, but my experience out there, your story, my story out there, um, for people to resonate with and connect with. Um, that's, yeah, that's where I'd be. Your true purpose. That's yeah. why I asked that question because that's the purpose that's driving you. Yeah. That's one thing I love about that question. Well, Gareth, you're going to do amazing things, man. Yeah, where you. can people find you? Um, Instagram is the best way. What's your handle? Uh, it's, we'll, we'll put it in the link as well or yeah. down below. It's just at Gareth underscore Leonard. At Very Gareth simple. underscore Leonard. Yep. It's kind of easy. Very simple. <laughs> I love it. Well, Gareth, thank you. Any closing thoughts or anything that you'd want to want to say? Just, I mean, thank you for having me on here. Um, I really appreciate it. You know, we're brothers. Heck uh, yeah, we are. And uh, I, I appreciate you um, putting yourself out here. It's not easy hosting a podcast and, and it takes going through some fear. Um, so Say that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth it though i love it yeah like just hearing people's stories like you, you're able to to share people's stories with with a greater audience and the impact that that can have is huge so thank you for doing that well, you're going to impact millions of people down the road i honestly truly believe you will your story you. is amazing your vulnerability and your willingness to talk about it we need more garris in this world so i applaud you and thank you man